Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Bala Apreo. Bala is a property investor based out of Detroit. He currently owns 86 rental single family homes in a commercial bank building that they have leased out to Comerica. These properties are all located in Detroit and Atlanta. Bala is originally an Australian citizen from Sydney and has been working in the banking and IT sector for 23 years before he retired into full-time U.S. property investing. So it's, it's quite the, uh, the transition from going from IT to real estate investing. What was the reason for doing that when you were living in Sydney? Okay, so the idea here, Charles, was basically to um, be, the first goal is to be financially free, you know. Um, when, when I started, uh, you know, working in the banking and ID sector, I really enjoyed my job. But I enjoyed the domain, which is the banking domain. But the most important thing was basically I, I soon realized, you know, um, decision making and, and, the, and being productive meant that I really had to, you know, um, I wanted to do, do things where I could take control of my decisions. And rather than, you know, spend the whole day, go through the whole day uh, in meetings and then, and then, you know, when, when I finish the day and when I drive back and I look at all my things to do list, I haven't knocked off very much. And, you know, the things to do list continues piling up. And I just felt like, you know, I love the banking industry. And, but, but the fact is that your time doesn't belong to you. And, and I wanted to take control of that and basically be, uh, be a master of my own destiny, perhaps. And so I decided, um, <clears throat> whilst I'm going to be a nine to five banker, mm -hmm. I'd rather be a five to nine, which is uh, uh, investor. And uh, basically, that's what uh, got me started with uh, property investing in 2007. That is when I purchased my first property. And um, going from there, you know, it was it was the idea was about, uh, you know, being positively, you know, being cash flow positive and being, you know, having a passive residual income. That was the right. whole idea. And that was all in Australia, correct? You have a portfolio, you had a portfolio in Australia starting in 2007. And how was that? How did, how, what was made up of that? What kind of uh, properties? Right. So my first property um, in 2007, uh, May, uh, is when I purchased my first property in Sydney, Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, um, you know, uh, these properties, as uh, you know, in Australia, the price of properties are way, way, uh, you know, way too expensive. And uh, compared to the U.S. market, they, you know, or probably you can compare it to the L.A. market or New York market. You know, that is the price of property in Sydney. Um, so... I was looking at the uh, the first property I purchased was five hundred and eighty five thousand dollars, and and then my second property was in uh, in um, Queensland in a town called Muramba, which is actually known for its coal mining. Mm -hmm. um, it was a mining town. The cash flow was really good. It was it was pretty strong in terms of um, cash flow. Um, and uh, I wrote the mining boom um, uh, from 2007 to 2010, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, 
you know, in Australia, we rent the properties by the week, unlike in the US where we rent, where we rent by the month. Um, and there's a good reason for that, actually. When you rent by the week, there's actually 52 weeks, you know, which makes it 13 months. So you're technically getting one more month of rent uh, uh, into your bank account. Interesting. Unlike uh, in, in the U.S., it's twelve months. So yeah, you know. Yeah, that's great. And how did you? I know one of the issues that kind of put a put a hold on your investing in Australia was financing. And you were yeah. working through a local bank that you had a relationship with, and you had financed these seven properties. And what happened when you're going for financing on your eighth? You know, so, so Charles, this is what, uh, you know, as, as we started, um, you know, accumulating, you know, after the first property, the second property, Muramba, which was actually a good cash flow property. The third one was in Sydney in a suburb called Oakhurst. And the fourth, fourth one was a, a unit, brand new unit in, in a suburb called Westmead. Mm-hmm. All of these properties were cash flow positive, but not by much. You know, they would probably at the end of the month, you know, they would pro- possibly, uh, you know, put about $100 into your pocket. Not, 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 not much, much more, you know. And one small maintenance here and there, you know, would wipe out that uh, particular cash flow, you know, because, because the prices, the entry prices were pretty high. Um, so, you know, and, uh, and so I started looking at regional Victoria and, uh, and then, um, again, I bought my sixth property in Queensland. So slowly accumulating properties by 2010, I had accumulated 13 properties in Australia. And, and then I realized at the end of the 13 property, I thought, wow, you know, 13 properties should really, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's probably much more than what an average investor would possibly, um, you know, um, go into. Mm-hmm. But in spite of 13 properties, I realized that A, I was actually one hitting the ceiling or the glass ceiling of financing because, uh, you know, basically, you know, the banks actually calculate what is called a debt serviceability coverage ratio. That is basically um, they take the investor's income and the income from properties. They do a haircut of, uh, they take 80% of the rents and then they look at, uh, they look at interest rate scenarios where if the interest rates increase by one or two percentage, whether the, you know, whether the investor will be still be able to service that uh, lending. And at which point of time after the 13th property, I hit, hit that glass ceiling. And, um, you know, I realized that uh, the banks were not willing to lend um, any more than that. And also looking at the cash flow, probably about $1,500 per month in income from these properties, which is not really very high. You know, by no way could I quit my day job, you know. And then that's where the realization came in that, you know, I had to seek other markets and uh, you know and that's where the US investing US market came into play and uh, you know so I saw these beautiful uh, properties in Atlanta in 2011 you know uh, which were $60,000, $65,000 which were renting for a thousand dollars, thousand fifty thousand one hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. and doing the numbers and doing the math it really seemed like it, it was a great place to um, invest and that's when I started winding down my uh, Australian properties and taking cash and going into the um, into the Atlanta market and buying properties with cash because the idea was there were no bank lending in 2011 purely because we were just off the global financial crisis and bank lending had ceased. 
And, uh, you know, that's where these properties at once, um, you know, prior to 2007, they had sold for 180, 190,000 and were available at 60, 65,000, $70,000. You know, they were in the foreclosure market and it was a distressed market, no lending, you know, and there was, there was a lot of developers uh, who had built these beautiful new homes and couldn't get, get them sold. And so that's where the opportunity presented itself. And uh, I why started. Did you, why did you choose Atlanta? Okay. Um, initially, I went down to Chicago and then uh, drove down to Indianapolis and then looked at Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati, and uh, you know. But but the but I found that the market was too depressed. Basically, it was it was uh, back in 2011. It was way too depressed, and uh, things didn't seem to you know um, things didn't really um, seem to align itself really well um, in 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 that in that area. So I decided, well, you know, I, it's probably not the best time to be looking at this market. So I, I flew back, um, when the second trip I took down to was, uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. And I looked at the market in Mesa, um, again, a great market, but you know, we're not, not really, the, you know, you know, we, we were looking at properties at the 120, 130k range, which were, and, and same rents about thousand, thousand, 1,100, 1,200 in rents. But so it was not really that, you know, from a yield basis, it didn't present itself as, as, as a phenomenal deal. They were great deals, but, you know, they didn't present as, you know, the, the very best deals. Um, that's when I went down to Atlanta and, and fell in love with the place. You know, it was, it was just, it was just phenomenal uh, in terms of, um, you know, when I looked at Henry County, the Clayton and the Newton County, which is the south of uh, Atlanta, um, looked at these properties. They they were a lot of newer. They were newer properties, lesser maintenance. Um, tenant pool was was a better, stronger tenant pool that were uh, that was available in Atlanta, and that's why I settled down in Atlanta. Interesting. Now you guys have really transitioned to Detroit. What was what was the reason behind that? Because Detroit's kind of an area where you hear a lot of people leaving from investing yeah. and going down to the Southeast, Midwest, uh, yeah. Southwest in regards, like you're saying, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, on the contrary, you know, since 2014, Detroit has been, has been the market where investors are going and seeking cash flow and capital growth because uh, Detroit uh, as a market. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, how, um, you know, uh, Detroit as a market itself, you know, quite depressed and it uh, during the uh, global financial crisis all markets like Atlanta Detroit Florida or Las Vegas for instance all these markets kind of came down crashing you know from a price index of say pre-2007 if the price index was say a hundred dollars hundred you know by 2011 Atlanta and Detroit had come down to 40 40 40 cents to a dollar um, and uh, by 2014, Atlanta started recovering, you know, uh, lending had come in and Atlanta started recovering, but Detroit had the double whammy where the, you know, Detroit uh, as a city filed for bankruptcy. So again, Detroit market went further south and sideways. It was, you know, it started from 2014, 15, 16, it was going rather sideways. But a lot of investments were coming in. People could see there was this, you know, the city had a lot of opportunities in terms of great investments. Uh, 
prices in Detroit where properties were selling for 120 in 2007 were selling for 30, 35,000 and even lesser, you know? Wow. So, mm, yeah. So it, it presented a great opportunity and the idea is about all about location, location, location. So it's all about buying in good locations, good properties, you know, um, of course, you know, every now and then you can hear uh, properties being sold for a thousand, two thousand $2,000, you know, for instance, but they're all quick claim deeds. They're not warranty deeds. Um, and um, these properties come with say ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 in back taxes, which you have to clear mm-hmm. after purchase. And these properties would come with another fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 worth of rehab. Um, and uh, they, they, they were not sitting in, in, the, in the best of locations. So the idea is in Detroit, it, it's all about block to block and it's about the best of locations. If you buy well in the best of locations, you know, the cash flow and capital growth, it, it offers tremendous potential in Detroit. If it goes block by block, how, is it, uh, how did you build your team in Detroit on the ground there? Because right. obviously you're not managing them day to day or anything like this. So how did you design your team, find the properties, the brokers, the financing, managers, etc.? So the idea was like um, in um, 14, I went down there, you know, um, and uh, literally the, for the first three months, just drove um, every block and basically... Um, you know, the, the Detroit has city, city has the east side and has the west side um, and basically driving different blocks and different suburbs, you know, you knew what were the areas that were that that had the pride of ownership. You can actually drive drive a couple of blocks and see, you know, um, uh, very good areas. And then, you know, you know, you drive four or five blocks further south or further north or probably 10 blocks. And then you see bad neighborhoods, you know. So what I started doing was giving every block a location rating from a, a rating scale of one to 10. Um, where the 10 was being the best, one being the worst. So I decided that I was going to be buying five and above. I'm not going to be buying below five. Um, So I totally avoided one, twos, and threes, absolutely avoided these one, twos, and threes. But location four, I might be very selective and very careful in buying location four, but five is where I started buying. Uh, five, six, sevens, eights, nine, tens are are great uh, areas. Like say, for instance, um, back in 2014, um, and um, you know, uh, locations like Sherwood Forest, Palmer Woods, University District, Bagley's, you know, Aviation Subdistrict, East English Village, uh, Berg Lasher, Greenwich, you know, um, you know, areas like these, the Grand Mont Rosedale, Rosedale Park, North Rosedale Park, and and these were the kind of areas that kind of popped up as as good locations where you can you can buy a great property. Um, for in the in the 30s and 40s, you could buy a great property and you could get a great tenant who's who's going to, you know, because bad areas attract bad tenants, good areas attract good tenants. You know, it's simple. You know, so um, that's where we hear a lot of uh, horror stories from interstate and international investors and even Detroit investors going into a bad a, a bad area and and finding that you know it is it, the price is so cheap I can buy buy say five properties and then. They've, they've bought in the wrong location and then they are not able to get the good tenants and then they have to evict these tenants or, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's a constant, it is it is a constant struggle when it comes to, because to be a landlord in Detroit really takes takes a lot of, uh, it requires the mindset of being a business person, not just as a passive investor. Right. 
Interesting. So you have your own management staff that handles all the day-to-day on your properties in Detroit. And I know that's part of your business too, because when you're providing and selling turnkey properties, it's something that um, obviously they're going to want when you, when they walk in, they want everything kind of all set for them. So how does your team work with, with managing the properties? You have, what kind of systems do you guys have in place to do that? Yeah. So what we first did was um, we found um, a great broker to work with. And then um, uh, we started uh, building a team around the property management side. We um, we run our property management in-house. So technically speaking, um, I realized that, you know, to to be effective, you know, we have a pro- to have a process in place. You know, um, we had to have property management in house. And technically speaking, uh, for instance, uh, uh, if if a tenant is uh, is uh, due for the rent on the on the first of the month, and by the second, if the rent has not hit your account, you know, you need someone out there sending out texts, emails, mm-hmm. and phone making phone calls on the second. And if they've not responded by the third. We will then go and uh, door knock on the on the third or the fourth. We, there will be someone from our property management team who will actually be on the front of the door and door knock the pro and and find out what's happening. You know, is there any issues or something that needs to you know is do you need you know what what is the reason for late payment and or if there is you know and basically if if whilst door knocking if there isn't a tenant you know tenants work uh, you know shift in Detroit you know so technically if the tenants not there someone leaves leaves a note a handwritten note not a printed note a handwritten note so that's by the fifth and by the seventh you know if you've still not heard anything a letter from the lawyer's uh, office you know uh, would go in and 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 technically this is the process in which of engaging a tenant and basically you know because detroit tenants are just like any other tenants anywhere else in the world you know you know you know tenants want to be staying in in that house they've got their kids going to the school they want to be in that particular community and that's why they're renting there but as a landlord, we have a lot of uh, duty of care as well, you know, in terms of making sure that the property is, is uh, safe and healthy and, you know, the tenants have a functioning home, you know. Right. And, and yeah, so, so yes, you know, so there's many equations to this. So having the stakeholders, identifying good stakeholders to work part of our team and getting good maintenance crew on board and having a process in terms of, who's going to be at which time to which house and ensuring that the, the tenants are uh, taken care of and the properties, you know, and, and ensuring that the rent roll and the, and the rents keep rolling in, you know, that's, that's the whole process out here. Yeah, that's a great system that you have. And it's great that you don't leave that much time. I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of landlords do up front is they're too nice or too, too laid back. And that's your biggest mistake. You have to make sure that you're proactive. You have to make sure you're talking to those tenants, you're collecting rent. You know, they know that you're going to show up there. And of course, exactly. they know exactly. that they know your other tenants and they say, well, this is what happened on the second. They came to my door and you know, I get a letter on the fifth and it, it kind of puts the word out there that, Hey, this is kind of how this business works and this is how they run. So um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how, what's the difference you, you see before, between investing in the United States versus Australia? Just a, what would you see some other than the cash flow? It's more of an appreciation market versus a cash flow market like we'd see major cities here in the United States and North America like Toronto and stuff. What else would you see as a difference? Well, technically speaking, exactly. Um, there, there isn't much of a difference between the U.S. market and the Australian market 
the 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 biggest thing is you have five outgoings and that's the same across you know australia and the and the and the us you know um it's it's exactly the same things in terms of say um property tax which we call as council rates in australia you know um in australia it's called council rates you know then you have your insurance same thing you have your maintenance you have your vacancy you have your interest rates you know exactly the the very same structure um you know from your pie chart or what 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 are your deductions but one big major aspect is if you're investing in high yield cities in 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 the us there is a lot in terms of difference in terms of cash flow in and in, in compared to australia in australia you know um landlords are willing to make a loss you know uh, technically speaking uh it's called negative cash flow and negative gearing and negative gearing is is great because you know the the you know i suppose the rent covered is only going to be so suppose the the rent is say $1000 a month right mm-hmm. um interest and other expenses and and uh, you know uh, maintenance and stuff like that you know it could be $1150 or $1200 for the month so technically the the investor is taking money $200 out of his pocket just to every month and holding the property purely betting on a bigger cash flow in terms of capital growth you know at the end of the year yeah so they're just appreciation and they don't mind having to kind of finance it through and uh interest subsidize the tenant and yeah. subsidize the tenant whereas um you know uh, american landlords are much more capitalistic you know they're much more you know you know they're not subs- going to subsidize the the tenant no sorry you know <laughs> they to be a landlord you need to be you know it's a it's a good rule here to say that hey i'm up to be a landlord i need to be paid you know so yeah. so yes what now since you work with your turnkey company and you have you're very well versed in international real estate and international business well what do you see the main differences between or biggest mistakes that new investors make when investing in the US into real estate right the biggest um uh, the biggest mistake is one is um not not finding not going in for the right location a b not getting into the uh, you know location is key absolutely the key item here not working with the right location not having the right processes in place and working with the wrong property management team and uh, and in technically speaking working with the wrong you know you, if 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 you if you're an interstate or an international investor the most important thing that you need to understand is like you need to have your boots on the ground you know your eyes your pair of eyes on the ground so that comes in from 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 you know aligning with uh, with a team that that aligns with your goals and basically aligns with what's what's good in property management how how best do we handle a particular maintenance you know how best you know um n- not by you know if, if a hot water tank uh, blows up and not simply going and getting a $2000 hot water tank that's that's it the cash flow cash flow is gone you know so technically in a market like detroit you you basically um you you, you know there's there's a there's a huge second hand market for hot water tanks and you know so so you know technically you utilize you know buy in the hot water second hand you know you you get the same thing fixed for for $400 rather than paying $2000 you know yeah. so these are the ways that you align yourself with a team who aligns with your ideas to basically understand your uh, goals of being cash flow positive you know and also having the uh, capital growth at the end of the year 
Yeah, the the management the management on any type of property with when you're renting it out, I mean, is just so key to making that property work or not work. I mean, it can be it's it's amazing that and they have to be well versed in the property asset type, the neighborhood. They have to know everything about it because you can take a management company that manages in Detroit and does, you know, A A class properties. And you'll need to if you're buying C class properties, you need someone that manages and specializes in C class. Or, I mean, it's just not going to work. There's no way it's going to work. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So, what about, uh, tell us about your company, Cashflow Positive. Um, You guys are a turnkey provider. You, it's it's a way for international investors to get into receiving passive income from U.S. real estate without knowing the ins and outs or building the team because you already have that in place. Yeah. So, Charles, basically what happened was uh, when when I started building my team and I started uh, taking on good people on board uh, on my payroll, you know, I soon realized that this was a a great niche. A lot of investors come in and they can they can, you know, um, leverage off the market purely because purely because they have got, um, you know, um, in Detroit, you can make great cash flow. You know, so the idea is like, but what I found was not not a lot of uh, investor services firms. And that's where I decided to create this brand called CashflowPositive.com. And uh, with CashflowPositive, we are a 12 member team. And uh, what we do is basically we do a complete location due diligence. Um, We identify distress and under market uh, undervalued properties from we we. We work with, with the tax options. We work in the bank foreclosure market. We work direct with the seller and we identify and we, we, we kind of bring in um, great, you know, uh, great properties at, at 70 cents, 65 cents a dollar. You know, that's the kind of, that's what, uh, you know, because it's all cash transactions. So we're not going in for any lend. It's all cash transactions. So you have a huge cash market in, uh, in Detroit. So where a seller is distressed and he wants to sell this like yesterday, you know, he should have sold it like yesterday. So, so you know, he can't allow, he can't wait for, for a buyer to walk in and look, at, go through a house and then decide that he, they're going for a FHA or a VA loan. You know, it's not possible. He needs the property. So that's where the cash market works and that's where we are working with. And we have a team of 12, 12 people on our team and who, who undertake everything from rehab to location due diligence. You know, we do the title, we do a title verification. We work with, uh, you know, basically in terms of uh, we, in our uh, inspection teams to inspect the property. We we do an entire, you know, um, full pre-purchase due diligence. Plus, if the property is already tenanted, we also do the, do the due diligence on the on the tenant to ensure that they're actually, you know, uh, are, are, you know, they we look at the employment history, their criminal record, their court court records and, 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 you know, ensure that uh, the tenant is going to be a good tenant for you. You know, there's a good alignment between the landlord and the tenancy, you know? Um, so, there, so yes. Is there financing available for, uh, do you have any financing, financing options available even for international investors? Yes. Yes, we do. We work with a number of hedge funds at the moment. Um, the financing um, criteria for international investors are that um, a, you know, uh, basically the property minimum property value should be at least fifty thousand and above. The second is minimum loan value should be a hundred and fifty. 
So they would have to have at least three properties to bring in into the portfolio to be able to lend on it. And uh, the rates start at six, six and a half percentage. That's where the rates are currently sitting at the moment, six to six and a half percentage. And it's purely asset-based lend. It's, it does not take into the any, any criteria of the borrower or borrower's capam, you know, and nothing. Yeah. It's an asset-based lend. Um, there's no there's no requirement for credit. There's no requirement for anything except it's purely an asset-based lend, and the lend is between 65 and 75 percent LTV or loan-to-value ratios. Um, you know, the lower the LTV, the the lower the interest rates, um, obviously, and higher the LTV, higher the interest rates, uh, because there's a higher risk premium that the, that the hedge funds charge. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all cash-out loans only. They they're not for pre-purchase. Technically speaking, uh, uh, investors should have purchased a property before they apply for these loans because right. uh, you know, they wouldn't be pre-purchased. Uh, they have cash out refinance only. That's yeah. great. Well, they are also getting the property already. It's already running. They're just cashing that out to go to another property or to reinvest that somewhere else. The yep. when, when they're in the property, so you're buying them wholesale, you're, you go through and you're doing everything. You're renovating the property. It's all set. You're putting a tenant in place and it gets sold. What are people, what are you seeing for a price versus rent ratio kind of, if you say you buy a property or you're selling a property for 75,000, let's say, or whatever, um, mm. what are they renting that for normally? Okay, so if you, if you technically see what's happening, the Detroit has been one of the markets, uh, it, 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 just the last year, it has had the highest rent increases nationwide. So it shows what a market, how strong the market is, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, two bedroom apartments would be renting anywhere 600 to 650. Three bedrooms would be 750 to 800 to 850. Four bedrooms, two baths would be 900, 950, 1000, 1100, even 1200. Depends on the location. Um, And uh, say, for instance, uh, you know, you could could technically buy a three bedroom, uh, one and a half bath, uh, property for for say forty five fifty thousand and and basically once you've done a rehab and you know and uh, rehab and so forth you can get that property because you're buying under market in the first place wholesale you're buying it at, when when you look at the comps that property could actually get a comp of about sixty five to seventy seventy five after after the rehab so that's where that's where um, that's where the market is at the moment you know and uh, the the valuations Detroit's been um, um, you know, from a property cycle perspective, you know, how, you know, six, six o'clock, you know, is, is absolutely the bottom, you know, and then it starts rising, goes to seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, and uh, right now Detroit would potentially be in the seven o'clock mark, you know, in a, in a property cycle perspective. Um, and, uh, and that's where, that's where, you know, it makes it all the more exciting about uh, being invested in Detroit and 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 waiting for the capital growth and 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 the uh, returns and yields, you know, rent returns and yields. So so yeah. Interesting. That's great. Do you have when investors come in? Are they usually buying one? They start off with one, or they buy a couple at a time, or how are they doing that? Just to are they are they going to minimize some sort of management fee or kind of some scale of uh, economies of scale on their end? Right. So mostly what we do see is especially um, international investors, when they come in, they would like to buy one or two and then they would like to dip their toe, see how it goes. And then soon they get uh, excited about the opportunity after, say, you know, after they see everything is actually settled down and rents are coming in, you know, 
they've got a good team that they're working with and then soon they they escalate and go ahead and buy eight nine ten properties because because these price points are extremely low you know and where else in the world can you technically where else in the entire wide wide world can you buy a property for forty thousand dollars a single family home uh, absolutely absolutely impossible so so that's where you know the the that's where um, that's where uh, that's why Detroit all, you know presents the, this opportunity and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity because these properties sold for 120 to 130 pre pre uh, GFC crash and um, the amount of investments coming into Detroit at the moment you know um, today you have the the is you know Detroit as we all know you know was a car manufacturing hub but today it's not just about and today it's coming back in a huge way because it's no longer about you know um, as we saw car manufacturing move from America went down move from Detroit went to Japan in the 80s and late 70s 80s and 90s and then went to Korea in the 90s and 2000s and then went to India and China and then Mexico. So, and now we are seeing the entire car manufacturing, not just car manufacturing, but we're seeing the entire industry move back purely because there's no longer a price, uh, you know, there's no longer a price uh, differential, whether the car manufacturing is in China or whether it is in the US because it's all about robotics today. Right. It's no longer, you know, huge. And it's it's all about machine learning, artificial intelligence, driverless technologies, you know, and, and today it's all about hybrid and fuel cell technologies. And, you know, we have the Teslas of the world. So a car is no longer about the motorized parts. It's all about the software and the technology. And where else in the world, you know, um, except US where the technology is, is so strong the software and the hardware side so it's a it's a great combination and so you know you know so today we are seeing a lot of investments come into detroit you know uh, recently uh, jeep uh, plant uh, announced a 4.2 billion dollar plant in detroit east side 4.2 billion dollars which is huge which is huge i mean uh, and chrysler and fiat you know i mean uh, general motors and nissan i recently saw you know google has introduced a waymo which is actually a driverless technology google's getting into driverless technology um, uh, uh, you know autonomous autonomous cars and so forth so so yes you know exciting times yeah that's great so how can uh, the listeners learn more about you know, cash flow positive Right. Um, as uh, so, we buy great properties and we buy great domain names as well. So, cashflowpositive.com is just one word. It's positive. Cashflowpositive.com, and um, and um, you know, w- once you're on the site, this you know, you if you leave me a message, if you subscribe, and if you would like to leave me a message, let's let's connect over a call. Let's discuss the possibilities and uh, let's make it happen. Well, that's awesome. And what I'll do, listeners, uh, everything will be put into the notes section. And uh, so you can have his, you'll have Bala's email and website address and everything. So I want to appreciate, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And um, hopefully, you know, everything with Detroit uh, in, increases and builds on what you've already got going on there. So that's great. So thank you very much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. 
Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.